Welcome to our podcast series, How Bass Music Shaped British Society. Bass culture research seeks to re-examine the history of Jamaican sound system culture in Britain and how its legacy has revolutionised the musical landscape from the way we socialise to economy. In this series, we explore sound, business, culture, people, preservation and society with fruitful discussion. Man, if you know I support bass Okay. Hello, my name is Pearl Boson um, and my pseudonym is Duplate Pearl. I was born in London, in fact in Notting Hill, Ladbroke Grove in 1959. So you were born in London? I was. Uh, where are your family, where are your parents from? My family and my parents are actually from a, a, an island called Caricou, which is just off Grenada in the Grenadines. And so that's where my family are based. Uh, describe the circumstances under which they came to the UK. Um, really, for employment, um, in those days, the islands in the Caribbean were British uh, ruled. And they just came as Commonwealth citizens to the UK for work and to better their prospects, really. So both my parents are actually from Caricou, um, Grenada. Yeah. So... They came to Notting Hill. Yes. Do you know why they settled in Notting Hill? Well, my mum settled in Notting Hill. My dad actually settled in South London. He was based in Lee, Lewisham side of South London. But my mum actually came and lived in Notting Hill because her sister was based there. And there was a large community of people from Cariku in that area, in that part of West London as well. Um, my dad then came down to meet her. Um, in Notting Hill. Well, my mum was just saying the other day that she should have moved to South. Well, I said, no, 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 I'm just glad that you stayed West. <laughs> so tell me about your, your early life, what you remember about it, what kind of environment you grew oh, up in. Oh, it was a typical West Indian environment. You know, we would have um, our main, as you know, main meal on a Sunday would be the rice and peas and chicken. Everybody had that. Um, my parents, uh, my dad was a builder, my mum worked in catering and did all sorts of little jobs um, to, to support the family. And um, it was just a really good um, upbringing, I felt. Very strict, as you know, West Indian feminism. Um, but my mum also was a stickler for grammar. We always had to speak properly and um, I keep that in my, my mind today. Um, my dad was always big on, on spelling. We had to do spelling as well. And Saturday mornings, it would be the library or swimming or the cinema. Um, they moved from Labrador Grove to Shepherd's Bush in 1961. And we still have connections in Shepherd's Bush. But uh, my background really, I mean, it's just a typical West Indian background. And tell me, did you, you, you mentioned that your parents were from this small island. Yes. Um, did you stay? within a group of, of a, a community of people from that island? Yes. I mean, when I went to, went to school, I mixed with all nationalities because Shepherd's Bush had such a mix of communities, um, all sorts of backgrounds. But my parents predominantly spent most of their time mixing with um, people who they knew from Karikou. And there was a lot of people in Shepherd's Bush from Karikou. So most of the visits that we did were family and friends from that island. What kind of musical, what, what do you remember about music in your early days? Right, in my early days, <laughs> my dad, he loved jazz, um, African music. Miriam Makiba was one of his favourites. Um, uh, people like um, Nat King Cole 
and um, Ray Charles, because I remember they went to see Ray Charles at Hammersmith when he was here, my parents, in the 60s. Um, also, Soka, Calypso, um, they were big on that. Uh, my mum always liked um, soul, jazz as well. She also liked her pop music too, so she had a lot of Beatles. Her favourite artists was um, uh, small, The Small Faces and Rod Stewart. She can talk to you about Rod Stewart. But also the influences from America, people like um, um, Al Green, um, Dionne Warwick, you know, those kind of artists. So in my household on a Sunday, um, there was always music. And that's what I grew up listening to, um, mostly jazz, soul, pop music. And it's not until the 70s, late 60s, with the... Well, of course, we also had um, ska, because I remember going to weddings and uh, christenings where ska was played, and that was a big thing in our community. So um, growing up, you know, in the early 60s, listening to that style of music, and then the rock steady in the late 60s. And then the 70s for me was the reggae, influences from school, people who I hung around with. And so that's how I've got into it. Just before we get on to that period, because I really want to focus on that. Yes. Um, the, year, the year before you were born, there was an infamous race riot, right, in Nottingham. Yes, which what my... Month, sorry, my mum was not so much caught up with it, but she had arrived in the UK, um, I think the year before that happened. And... Um, she was in the heart of it. She knew what was going on at the time. It was very, quite traumatic for them, uh, for my mum especially, because she was only about 18. And she remembered when the riots were happening outside the house where she lived and how they had to seek cover because they didn't know whether they were going to be targeted or anything like that. And it was quite an, a frightening experience for her, um, being so young. And did that, was that something that you felt as you were growing up, an awareness of that? I was aware. I was aware of it because there was a lot of racism in the 70s, you know, when we were growing up. We were going to school, harassment from the police. We got that all the time. Um, at our functions, any time we went out, you know, even coming from school, um, we'd be stopped. Or if we were in the West End, we'd be stopped for whatever reason, you know, with some stupid excuse. Um, I remember being stopped by the police, um, saying um, how... Two girls fitting the description of me and my sister were shoplifting. And we only had our purses in our hand. We didn't have any bags or anything. And we had about £500 worth of money at that time in our purses. So when I said to them, can I have your ID? And, you know, why are you stopping? Because I challenged them. Oh, well, no, we've made a mistake. And just sort of, like, let us go. But, um, you know, that's the kind of thing you're up against in the 70s and 80s. So what was your awareness around when you were growing up, when you moved to Shepherdsburg? Yes. Did you, were you aware of sound systems? Or kind of um, only sort of like in the sort of like mid 70s, um, mid 70s, because there were families who lived on the road where we lived, um, Jamaican families that had blues parties, um, shabins, and um, one family in particular actually had their own sound system, who I was quite um, friendly with. So I was able to see the development of the sound system with them. And also when they used to play out in Acton Town Hall, um, they asked me to come along once with them and I was able to wire up, as they say, the, the sets and did that at, at the Town Hall. How old were you then? 
I was have been about 17, 18, yeah, which was an experience. Describe, it's very really hard to capture a lot of these things because no one's filming them. Mm -hmm. Describe, describe to me going to a dance in Acton Town Hall when you were 17 year old. Well, the describe. Well, you, you, first of all, you had to make sure you had the most expensive clothing, and you didn't want to be seen with something that somebody else wore. So you went. I mean, in those days, we were working. We either went to, to college, or you went straight into work. And I went straight into work, and I was earning reasonable money. I mean, thirty pounds a week was a lot of money in those days. So you were able to afford to buy expensive makes like Burberry, Gucci you know, Farah's. I used to buy um, dresses from this shop called Gilders, which was a very well-known make at the time, and Gore skirts. Now, Gore skirts in those days were 100 pounds. So you could just imagine how much they are now. And uh, Gabiches, there was a shop in Shepherd's Bush called Stewart's that sold, sold Gabiches. So you made sure you wore some really nice clothes. You'd either go down to the market, get something, or you went to the top shops and you bought something and you dressed up and you made the effort, you had your money, your, either your parents would give it to you or you had your own money to get from A to B. And then when you got in, the atmosphere was just something else. It was electric because you know, you know you're anticipating good music, you're with your friends in an environment where you're not going to be harassed and enjoying yourself. And um, you know, from the time the music started, we're all about the same age, hundreds of people enjoying themselves. And um, wasn't just the town halls or the clubs as well I used to go to. And um, you just made the effort to just go out and enjoy yourself. You worked and you worked hard and then you partied. So was this mainly a Saturday night? Saturdays, Sundays. Um, I remember going to a club called Bally High, which was in Streatham. Okay. And um, I used to, there's a group of us from um, West London, Fulham, Shepherd's Bush, Hammersmith. And we'll get a, a bus down. We'll meet to get the 49 bus all the way to Streatham in those days. And then we'll make arrangements to have a cab drop us back. So one would be dropped off in Fulham, then Ship Hammersmith, then Shepherd's Bush. And that's how we did it. And in those days, I mean, cab fares, we shared the fare. So that's how we got from A to B. And describe, I mean, part of it is going out to meet members of the opposite sex, isn't it? I mean, that's well, I, yeah, that sort of thing went on as well. I mean, you were always being approached. Um, but uh, you just felt it didn't come out for that. There were some people who did, but I remember going out just to enjoy the music, and I wanted to hear um, the not so much the reggae vocals, but the real hard dub kind of music. That's what I'm really into, yeah. and that's what I wanted to. That's why I followed the sound system because I knew I would hear dub cuts of the reg of the popular tunes at the time. So that's Tell me about when your first, how did you get into dub? How did I get into dub? Um, I think just going to sound system sessions. Um, you know, they used to be on a Sunday afternoon in Wandsworth Town Hall. They used to have what they call 12 till 12 sessions with a variety of sound systems. You'd get about four or five sound systems in Wandsworth Town Hall on a Sunday afternoon. And you go and spend the whole day there, listening to the different sound systems, meeting friends from different parts of London and what have you. So this, it was, you know, Friday, Saturdays and Sundays. Sometimes there were um, places that opened during the week, but I used to concentrate mostly on going to places weekends. Yes. What about the dancing? How, what do you, how 
dance? You just—it's just something that's in you. You know, the rhythms, you just follow the rhythms of the music and you just danced. I mean, you know, we had all different. I don't know whether the dance had names, but all I know is that you followed what everybody else was doing and you just got on with it, you know? <laughs> but I mean, there's a dance called the skank, you know, but that was something that we just made up at the time. I don't know where the word originated from, but I know skanking was um, a term used for a type of dance. Now, in your experience going out to these houses, is it, a, is it mixed girls and boys? Yes, what, you know, the audience. Yeah, the audience. Yes, there was, there was. There were more men than girls, because um, it's male-dominated, um, but there were still quite a few girls there. I mean, I was there. <laughs> I was <Amazing>. there. <laughs> and, um, yeah, there was, it was, I wouldn't say it was half and half. I would say it's predominantly males. Lots of places I've gone to, um, you know, some of the harder sound systems, you'd, it'd be more males than girls, and sometimes they'd be looking at you and say, why are you here, sort of thing. Such as, can you give me the name? Because they'd, um, well, sound systems. Yeah. Which one would be more? Sufferer sound at the time was real hardcore. And, um, you know, when you went to their dances, you know, you didn't see that many women because they really played hard stuff. Of course I did. And one of my favourite sound systems, um, which wasn't a London-based sound system, was a sound system called Quaker City. And they were from Birmingham. And they always played real roots and dubs, and that's what I liked. What is it about dub? First of all, just give me your working definition of dub for those people who don't. So what, what is dub? A dub is a sort of like a dubbed version, instrumental version of a vocal track. That's how I understand it. I mean giving you the definition is correct, but that's how I understand it. It's, it's a, an instrumental, dubbed-up version of a, a vocal track. That's how I understand But I've always liked instrumentals, and I've always liked dub tracks. And my favourite artist, first when I first heard him, was Augustus Pablo. So, you know, that's where it stems from. Playing a child's instrument, but <sighs> making it yes. profound. Yes. <laughs> It's just incredible. What about the bass then? You've got, oh, I love bass. bass. It's, it's, just, it. it's just the way it sounds with the drums. It just blends well. Um, you know, you hear a drum and bass tune and the, the instrumentation, the way it's put together. You mean like Sly Dunbar and Robbie Shakespeare, when you hear them play and just the way that they organise the, the music, it's just incredible. Now tell me about, there's a period of time you talked about growing up in the West Indian community, but your parents being from, you know, the small island. Yes. There's a time when, as it were, Jamaicanness becomes dominant in a way. It's sort of like, is that, would that, I mean, your, your family was from Jamaica. No, they're not. Jamaican. You don't sound like a Jamaican no, either. No, no. Tell me about that time. That well, I think what it is, it all depends what area of London you grew up in. Because I grew up in West London, where the, the majority of the West Indians were non-Jamaican. There's only certain places like Harleston and Wilston um, that had, Jamaica was sort of like um, predominant. But Shepherd's Bush wasn't, it was more Grenadian, Bar Barbadian, Dominican, St. Lucian, what have you. And plus all the other nationalities from Europe as well. So um, I think the Jamaican influences really came to fore in sort of like the mid-70s when sound systems started 
I mean, sound systems was always there, but I think a lot of us started following, and that's when we think that, uh, well, that's when I think. I remember 1974, going to, to Carnival with my parents, and there were sound systems then. I'm thinking, that's what I want to, to be around. Um, so for me, it was around sort of like the mid 70s, late 60s, probably late 60s with the, with the rock steady, um, sort of like music and influences then. But for me, from school, it was around the mid 70s. Did you go to Carnival again in 1976? I was there. I remember 1976 Carnival like it was yesterday. Um, I even remember what I was wearing. <laughs> um, I remember going down to Kensington High Street and buying a safari suit. That was the kind of colours you wore in those days, sort of like safari jungle prints and what have you. And I remember buying this safari suit with some flat sandals. And I remember coming out... Leopard Grove on the Sunday, because you, you, you came out at Leopard Grove Station at the time, and it was, there was this rustling in the air. I remember that quite, you know, like it was yesterday, I remember that. So I thought to myself, something's going to kick off. I just, you, you, felt, you felt the tension. And there were lines of police up and down. Of course, of course, it wasn't as crowded as it is today. So you had space to walk, and there was lines of policemen walking up and down Labour Grove Main Road. So I thought that was a bit strange. So then the Monday we came out at Notting Hill, at Labour Grove Station, and we headed for Cambridge Gardens because Cambridge Gardens in those days didn't have the built-up buildings as they were now. It was just fenced with different units under the flyover. And each of the sections under the flyover had different sound systems. And the first one I remember was Sufferer Sound. And so we would listen to Sufferer, and I can't remember any of the others that were down there, but we eventually listened to this sound called um, Prince Jasbo, and it was right down the bottom of Cambridge Gardens. As I said, each of the sections under the flyover had different sets. And they were quite crowded, I remember. And I remember one of the, the sessions that we went to under the flyover, the guys there were throwing out records. And one came out of the case and hit this guy across his face and he got cut, I remember, because it was so sharp, it was a bit dangerous. And so we ended up listening, I'm sure it was to Prince Jasbo's sound, if I can remember, that was a long time. But it was a really good session. So we were there till about 11 o'clock. And then we thought oh, it was time to make our way home, not realising that the riots had kicked off down by Ackland Road. And Ackland Road is a road where my mum lived when she first came to this country as well, so I knew that area quite well. And um, it was just trying to get home. Then it was on the news. Then our parents knew that we were down there and we went home by 12. And my parents, I remember they were very, very worried um, it was really quite a bad riot at the time, but I think the tension, something was going to kick off, and it happened then. Do you have any feelings about it after? I mean, some people have described it as, you know, in, in a weird way, kind of a victory, in a way. It was like the police were defeated. Well, they did, they did get sort of like a hiding, in a way, because we just got so fed up with it, and we thought, we're not going to have any more of this. 
And we didn't go down there with any intentions to um, cause the kind of trouble that was caused on, in that time. We just went down there to enjoy ourselves. But even enjoying ourselves of being harassed. So we just thought we've had enough. And, you know, one thing led to another, all the arrests, unnecessary arrests, the sus law at the time, you know, being picked up on suspicion of doing stupid things. You know, you're coming from school. You, 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 the police will stop you on suspicion of stealing a car. You're in your school uniform. You're going home. That's what happened to us in Shepherd's Bush. You think to yourself, what's wrong with these people? So tensions were, were quite rife at the time. And I remember it took us about two to three hours just to get from Notting Hill to Shepherd's Bush. And my mum was very pleased to see me home because what they had shown on the news at the time wasn't very nice. Didn't put you off going to carnival though? Definitely not, because I've been going to carnival since I was about 10 with my dad in the early days. And um, so from about 1970, 69, 70, I've been going with my dad and my, well, my parents actually. Um, 1974 was the year I ditched them. <laughs> and then um, we had family who were in a variety of um, steel band sounds and um, on floats. So we used to follow the floats. We used to go to the Commonwealth Institute when they had the carnival costume king and queen competition um, that they used to be held there. Um, we used to go to the panorama that used to be held, first of all, in a local school in Abra Grove. And then it just moved up to, um, I think, what's the name of the place? Kensal Road now. I don't know whether it's still being held there. But I used to do all that with my family and my sister. We used to follow floats all over. And in those days, there wasn't like a map. You just had to just get there. And if you knew where the floats were starting off, then fine. But 1974, 75 is when I decided to go on my own. And, um, and sort of mid-70s, I started going with my sister as well. But then in 1995, yeah, about 1995, I just started going to carnival on my own and just going and looking for sound systems. And my favorite that I used to listen to was Jar Observer. And um, I spent, and the reason- I always end up on that corner. Yes, yeah, that's right, Jar Observer. Channel one as well. One as well. Yes, exactly. I would go. Lorry, right? That's right. Over the back of lorry, but yes. Channel one is a something else. There's an extra level of faith. Yes. I don't know. I mean, these guys. When you think the, the 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 technology and the engineering skills that these guys have to run those sound systems without going to formal college or university to get a degree to say, oh well, I can do this. And also, I had a friend who used to make the boxes. He's now passed away. But he would go all over Europe because his skills were so sought after. And this was just something that his dad taught him, you know. So all those skills are there. I mean, look at the sound systems now, the, the, the boxes and the, oh, God, it's just incredible with all these buttons and lights everywhere. But the sound quality is what it's all about. So, yeah. Um, it's a real art form. It is, and um, I know I've just seen something about how to build your sound and all that kind of thing now on the internet, mm. but these guys didn't have sort of like, you know, someone to teach them. It was just something that they developed. Tell me about how, did you, when you started buying records, and I, how you started buying records, <laughs> where you started buying records? Well, I started buying records 
um, mid-70s, I think it was my first record that I bought, it was in fact an album, it was the, um, just trying to remember the name of the artist, Fatback Band. Fatback Band, um, Wiki Wacky. Wow. Wiki Wacky, the album, it was for my, my mum had given me some money for my birthday and I bought that and I had a party, I think for my 17th and I bought that. Um, but there was other uh, records that my mum had bought for me. But my mum always used to buy. There was a shop in Shepherdsbush Market called WG Stores, which used to sell music, um, all kinds. And you can go into the booths and listen to them. So I used to do that with my mum sometimes when we went down to Shepherdsbush Market for shopping. Because in those days, Shepherdsbush Market also had a, a wide mix of foods from different parts of Eastern Europe, Caribbean, Africa. So that was the hub. You go down to Shepherdsbush Market, or you were sent down to Shepherdsbush Market, but you had to go and make sure you came straight back home. And in those days, without telephones, if I strayed off and spoke to somebody while I was on an errand for my mum, my mum would know about it before I'd actually get home. That's how it was. That's how the community was in those like days. The, the exactly. But um, I started buying music um, in mid-70s. Um, one of my favourite shops for buying music was Dub Vendor. Dove Vendor in Labrador Grove, under the station, not where they had moved to. And then also Greensleeves um, in Shepherd's Bush. There was a, where Westfield is now, there was a, a shop there. And I also used to go to Bluebird Records in Edgware Road because I used to listen to Invicta Station on a Sunday afternoon, which was a pirate station. And they would announce when all the major soul artists were going to be at Hammersmith. So then my sister and I would run down to Hammersmith, buy our tickets, buy my music from there. And so, so all my soul, most of my soul and jazz came from Bluebird Records, but um, most of my reggae came from Dove Fender and Greensleeves. And on a Saturday, you couldn't go there as a female. Well, you could, but um, Saturdays was a no-no for females. And so I used to have to buy my music during the week on my lunch breaks and stuff like that. Because it was so male-dominated and um, the guys didn't like the fact that there were women in the shops. I mean, I, I remember, I've told this story umpteen times. I went to Bluebird in Edgeway Road one Saturday afternoon and um, music was being played, of course, with all the guys at the counter. There are a variety of sound system men. And a tune would get played and then you'd put your hand up if you wanted to, to buy it. And this guy who stood at the end of the counter he said to the seller, don't sell music to her, she's not in a sound system. And I stood there and I thought, well, my money is the same as yours, right? But then of course, I was the only girl in the shop at the time. And so I thought, this is not going to defeat me. So what I did, I went back the following week, Saturday, but I went with a list. And I then gave the guy my list of records that I wanted and he just gave them to me and then I just left. But then I used to go on my lunch breaks, during the, I ring up the record shops and say, have you got anything for me? And they'll say yes. And then they will um, have a supply of records ready. So I'd go and listen to- Just what, new stuff? That new stuff in. that come in, Studio Ones, all sorts of reggae labels that was coming at the time. 
And so I would go and listen and choose the ones I wanted. So you buy mainly reggae 45s rather than... 45s, I used to buy albums. I've got a lot of dub albums. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, Scientist is one of my favourite artists. I met him recently and he signed all my albums, which is brilliant. But um, no, reggae singles, um, 12 inches. 12 inches were popular at the time, mm. where you've got the versions or the toasting, yeah, the disco mix as they called it. Or you get the toasting part of it. Toasting is what they call rapping now, you know. And so I have a lot of uh, reggae 12 inches, and some of them are worth an awful lot of money nowadays. But that's what I used to buy. I did buy a white label um, 12 inch in and about 1978, which cost me five pounds. And five pounds was the equivalent of, say, about 50 quid now. And I borrowed it out. I never got it back. And that, was <laughs> that still hurts. But I know of people who have had their collection stolen, um, you know, lost. And so I, I'm very, very careful with my music. How important are your records to you? Very important. Ask my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> very, very important um, because I remember the, going to the record shops, buying them, selecting them, what I want to hear. And how I would buy my records is that I'd listen to the versions first. If it had a good version, I'd buy it. If, the version, if there was no version, sometimes I wouldn't buy it. Um, so that's how I bought And I only had to listen to the first few bars. And I think, yes, I want that, or no, I don't want that. And I still do that now. Going back to this male domination issue. Yes. Um, were there any women involved in sound systems of any of the sounds that you went to, or just describe? The, I never um, saw any at the time. Just say that in a full sentence. <laughs> I never saw any females involved in sound systems. The places that I went, um, the clubs that I went where the music was being played, I never saw any females playing or behind the set as such. I never saw, unless I didn't go to the places where they were. But I wasn't aware of any, and I never saw. So um, for me, um, now that I'm getting a bit of involvement, um, it's nice to see. But at the time, in the 70s, even um, the sound that I helped set up in, in Acton Town Hall, when I tell people that story, they don't believe me. But um, the sound at the time was called King Tropical, and um, they were based in Shepherd's Bush, but they're now known as Diamonds, or best girls' best friends. And the main guy behind that is a guy called Tyron Fraser, he's a good friend of mine. And he built that sound, him and his brothers. So, but yes, no, there was no involvement. I, I can't remember seeing any at, at the How time. How did you feel about that? I didn't feel any way about it because we just knew it was boys and their toys. You know, that's how I saw it. Boys and their toys, they're involved, let them get on with it. We're just here to listen to the music, look pretty and enjoy. And that's what it was all about. Well, for me anyway, I don't know about others, but I just enjoyed it. Tell me about, uh, you may have an experience about this, I don't know, but tell me about the moment of Love's Rock. Like the, the, the shift from the roots, roots, to to the love of God. How did you, what happened? Did you notice it when it happened? I noticed it. Like it. I noticed it. I have some lovers rock, 
But um, it was always music, oh, this is for the ladies. And I hated that phrase. So I, <laughs> Love Is Rock came, a lot of the um, female, females who sang it, they were English-based, sort of my age at the time, 16, 17 and 18. For, um, you know, so many artists, Janet Kay, so many, but it wasn't really for me. Although I bought some of it, but um, it, it just wasn't a favourite. I mean, I, I listen to it now, and I think, yeah, this sounds okay. But I felt that some of it just sounded all the same, and some of the, 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 the vocals weren't very good. It's just having people singing it in that genre of music, lovers rock, came and you dance, mostly at parties. I wouldn't go to a sound system place and hear lovers rock, it was more hardcore. But sometimes you'd go to a dance and they'd play that kind of music and you dressed up and you went and you enjoyed and you were asked to dance. And there was a style of dancing, as you know, um, with it. And um, people enjoyed it. I probably must have enjoyed it at the time, but for now, um, that really isn't my favourite form of uh, music, unfortunately. Well, it, I mean, you're, 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 you yourself are an example that that's not true, that it, women will only like a particular kind of music, but was there an element? Did, did there an element it was mostly women, yes, there is. That, that, you know, lots of females, they like, lots of my friends liked it. And um, I, they couldn't quite get me because I wasn't so much into it as much as they. They would, they would go to um, to events where all that kind of music was going to be played, and that would just I uh, couldn't, I couldn't uh, listen to it all night. Um, parties, yes, but you, when you went to parties, you'd hear a different kind, you know, a mixture of music. What about the sounds that specialise with? Saxons, I know the guys from some of the guys from Saxon sound now, but Saxon wasn't a sound that I followed, um, and they're much younger. Um, their style, it's their own style, but it was more sort of like Quaker City, sufferer sounds, um, tropical sound, as I said, um, Jar Observer, Jessus from Shepherd's Bush. Um, oh God, there's so many at the time. But yes, I was more into what they call hardcore music. So tell me about when you got your sobriquet, your, your, your pseudonym, your however you want to I just made that up. I made that up um, in, I think it was 2011. Yeah. Um, Jar Observer, um, Austin Palmer, he was retiring and he said in carnival the year that he was the year before he's retiring and he'd like people to come and play uh, two of their favorite tracks on his set in Brixton so I had just moved back to um, to South London because I moved from South London I was brought up in West London moved to South London, then I moved back to West London for 10 years, but then I just moved back again to South London. So I had the flyer, which said, you know, come and you can play two tracks of your choice on his set. So I thought I could do this. You know, I've always liked Jar Observer. I'm going along. And this was at St Matthew's Meeting Place in Brixton. So I went along 
I didn't know what to expect. There was a queue of people in front of me, mostly males. And um, they said, oh, well, you know, take your turn. So then when it was my turn, I was so nervous because there was about, I don't know how many hundreds of people there on that night. And so I went along and Austin said, okay, Pearl, you know, um, so I gave him the records. He said to me, I'm not playing them. You have to play them. You have to come behind the set. And I was just thinking, oh my God, how am I going to do this? And um, one of the MCs on the night then said, what name do you want to be called as? So that's when I made it up, Dubplate Pearl. And so they announced me as Dubplate Pearl. And I played my first track which was Music in the Air by Mutumbi, which a lot of people didn't know. And I could see, I'm looking around thinking, oh my God, they don't know this. This is something that I had from 1975. But it's a nice rhythm tune. It's produced by Dennis Pavel. And um, it was just really, I just played that. So that went down okay. And then my second track was by the Twinkle Brothers called Never Get Burned. And from the time that started, the crowd just went crazy. And where we were supposed to just have six or seven minutes to play your tunes, um, that got rewound about five, six times, plus the version. And it was just, people just went crazy. So then after that, I just took my two records and just put them back in the bag and I was on my way out. But then I got interviewed by the guys who were filming it on the night, and then I just went home. <laughs> so that was, that's how the name, I just made it up on the spur of the moment um, when I was put on the spot there. And so it's just stuck with me. But this has led you into something. You have a kind of, I wouldn't say, I don't know, career is the right word, but you... I like my music. What, what stuff like now do? Well, I, I DJ, I DJ, I DJed. Um, well, what happened? Um, I met Wasi One on my way out, and he said, "Oh, hello, I'm Wasi One. I like what you did. We must hook up." So I said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah," and I just sort of like walked off. But then um, I was introduced to. Um, they had like sounds, not so much sound system, but selectors clashes on a Monday night, up at this place called um, Keats Wine Bar in Park Royal. So I used to go along to that, which is prior to me being Dub Plate Pearl. But on a Monday night, two selectors would play and it would be recorded and it would be on this station called Roots FM. So it's involved with that. Then it moved to this place called um, Addictive in Park Royal on a Monday night. I, and we'd have selectors from different parts of the country playing against each other and see who would win on the night. And then through that, I was introduced to um, this restaurant in Cricklewood, um, which is now closed. And they used to have, on a Tuesday night, different selectors playing um, against each other. And then I said I could do that. So they said, all right, then fine. So um, they put me up against Gladiwax. I don't know if you've heard of Gladiwax, Gladstone. He plays in carnivals. He's a guy with the white gloves. You never heard of him? Yes serious selector and he used to be in Quaker City Sound I was told but um, it was some um, heritage that was the venue in that in Cricklewood where I first played and then um, I also played at this uh, pub 
called Albertines in Lewisham, Lewisham Way, on a Wednesday night, that was the place to go if you wanted to hear serious selectors play. I mean, it, it was just incredible. And so I went along to that and they were asking people if they wanted to, to participate. And I said, I can do that. And so my night was chosen and I went and I played the records that I had. And uh, people were quite surprised. But initially, how it got started, it was some friends of mine from Shepherd's Bush, um, they were having a dance in Hammersmith. And um, Ozzy and Lennox, they knew I had records and they wanted somebody to do a warm-up for them. And they said to me, Pearl, you know, we know you've got records, come and do the warm-up. So I did the warm-up for two hours and they just stood there rubbing their chin like, we didn't know she had those kind of records. And that's how I got the bug. And then, of course, it was the job server thing. Then it was um, uh, uh, um, the restaurant in Cricklewood. Um, and then Albertines. And from Albertines to a variety of places, Haggerston Radio. Um, I'm now on Balami Radio in South London once a month. And so, as and when, I hooked up with uh, Mr. Swing Easy, who's Toby Broom, and we play music together under the, the auspices of Campbell Connection. And um, so that's what we do. So, how, how has sound system world changed over that period of time? We're now in you know, 2017, and you've been talking about 1974. Yes, so big span. Big span. Time. What's um, changed? What's the same? Well, first of all, um, there aren't as many places where you can play. That's one thing, which is quite annoying. A lot of the guys who I grew up with don't really want to play anymore because they said that they've been doing it for 30, 40 years. And also the influences from the indigenous population here now. You go to um, lots of uh, venues and events and it's predominantly English or European rather than West Indian. Um, so you, that's the big change. But it's quite ironic because <laughs> you think back, the people who are attending sound system dues now, their parents and grandparents were dead against it. And they're the ones who are trying to stop it. But yet their children are now into it big time. So um, from one experience to another. But it's still good because we're keeping the sound system genre alive. Um, as I said, a lot of the guys who had their own sound systems back in the day, they, they just um, don't want to, to play out anymore or can't be bothered. It's a lot of hard work. And furthermore, rather than playing vinyl, you've got the computers, MP3s, CDs. So that's what lots of the guys play. But I don't go to sessions where they're playing off a laptop or MP3, it has to be vinyl. So there are, you know, Why places. Be because the sound quality, it's just so much better. The depth, the smoothness, the crackles. You know, that's authentic. When you hear those three things, when you listen to it, when you, when you put it on a turntable, the smell, getting out of the sleeve and putting it on a, t I mean, <laughs> I'm very careful with mine. You know, and just losing that one still is a bugbear of mine. And I've, I mean, I've collected quite a lot of records over the years. Not as 
many as some of my contemporaries. I mean, I, there are friends of mine who have a room this size, just full, or not just one, two, three rooms, just full of records. Um, all vinyl, seven inches, 12 inches, 10 inches, dub plates, albums, and all genres. Um, soul, jazz, rock, all sorts of things. Does it worry you that there, there, there isn't a next generation carrying these sound systems forward? Or are there? I mean, you described it as older guys stopping. But there are. Um, most, there, there are quite a few young people, but not from the Afro-Caribbean community. So, um, you know, there's lots of uh, people in Europe who are carrying on the sound systems. I've got friends in Italy. In fact, I've been asked to participate in this um, project in Italy called Women of the Ghetto. It's all female um, art, well, female DJs and artists. And um, so really, that's where it's going. I haven't seen, well, I've seen guys who are my age with their sons, like in Carnival. Um, there was a sound called, um, I can't remember the name. Oh God, we, we saw them, but the son is really into it, but it's his dad's set and he's quite young, he's still at school. Um, but there aren't that many, I haven't seen that many um, coming up. In a way, one thing you could say about it is that the influence of those things has been dispersed across a much larger yes. range of Yes, but yes, yes. that influence gone? Or it's gone towards sort of hip-hop, grime, jungle, drum and bass, soul, um, lovers rock, not so much lovers rock, but um, soul, soft soul, that's where they've all gone. And I think also the, the influences from America with MTV, that's what's done it, I think. Whereas we didn't have MTV, we just had to just get on with it for ourselves. But those influences from America, I think, as well. What do you think overall, how would you describe or what do you think about the impact of this musical culture? I mean, the way you describe it, this is a Jamaican musical culture. Yes. Not all, not every single tune from Jamaica. No, no, Jamaica, not at all. The basic idea. It's the influence. What has it done? What has that influence been on the UK? I think it's been quite a, a, an important influence. It's a history. Um, we've made a mark, and that mark is there for, for all to see. There might be people out there who do not want to see it, who do not want to accept it, but it's a mark that's been made. And it's not just from the Caribbean, sort of like the West Indian, it's homegrown. It's kids who are born here of West Indian parents. And it's just something that we have that we can attach to us and say, this is what we did. So that's what it that's is. Is great reggae still being made? Um, yes. There are a couple of artists who are making, with the influences of the old school. Um, but I am very old school. I do listen to some of the, the, the new stuff, but I prefer the um, older genres. There really was genres. a age. There was. And, and when, that's the music. The 60s, 70s. Yeah. 60s, 70s. Um, I stopped buying reggae when the electronic style started to come in, which was the, but in the 80s, 82. The last single I bought was in 83, and it's by Joe Gibbs, and it's called, um, um, oh God, I've forgotten the name of it now, I do apologise. Um, so It Go, So It Go, it's by Joe Gibbs, and that was the last reggae single that I bought.
from Greensleeves Reggae. Yeah. So if someone comes to hear you, they're getting a vintage selection. Vintage selection. Um, with regard to soul, I play soul as well. And my jazz, I like jazz too. Traditional jazz funk as well. Um, so that's what I play. But I do like my reggae from that era. Some ska, the rock steady especially. 70s vocals, but more dubs. I love my dubs. And if I could get a chance to play Augustus Pablo all day, I would do. <laughs> yeah, as far, yeah. And um, scientists. Yes. Wonderful. Yeah. Thank you.